You excited to be in the house of God this morning? Oh yeah, you ready for the word of God? Very good. Well, I've got a word this morning that I want to encourage you with, that, uh, that you'd be strengthened and inspired by. So uh, let's get ready. Are you ready for it? All right, but just before I do, there's a couple of notices, okay? First of all, baptisms, 2 o'clock at Arataki Motor Camp. So uh, if you haven't been water baptized yet, then Arataki Motor Camp, 2 o'clock today. And uh, yeah, so, uh, and the, the pool is slightly heated, so don't worry about the cold much. <laughs> all right, and now another couple of things too is uh, some, first of all, some sad news, and then I've got some good news. So the sad news is Ian Clayton, his uh, father died uh, last week, and uh, so just be aware of uh, Ian's loss, and uh, just think of him and his family at this time. And uh, so that's the bad news. The good news is, you ready for some good news? Okay, Andy Mason. Andy Mason, you remember that Andy Mason went over to um, Bethel Bible School uh, at uh, last year. Well, Andy Mace has just finished and was awarded the Earl Johnson Revivalist Award, which is like the, like, this is good, the award for the person with the most potential to be an outstanding revivalist. So that's our Andy. Eh? Yeah, he's, he's one of ours. So thank God that's good news. Eh? All right, and let me get into the Word of God today. I want to preach to you on living to your full potential. Living to your full potential. Now, before Shane Willard came last week, Pastor Mike had started a series on identifying and governing your metron. And the principle that he was preaching on was that God has given us all a measured area of life that we are responsible for. That includes our inner life, our thoughts, our attitudes. How many of you got some attitudes that need working on, eh? <laughs> our relationship with God, our bodies. Yeah, your body is part of your metron, okay? It's something to manage. All right, how many women know that, eh? How many guys know that? <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, just pass me a spade and I'll dig myself a hole if I, if I, if I have long enough. All right. Our families, our ministries, our service to God and his people, those are all part of our metron. Our work, the gifts and talents that he's placed in our lives, our finances, these are all part of the responsibility that God gives us. And he gives us the responsibility to grow those things and to guard them. Yeah, these are areas that God gives to us personally, not for our husband or wife to take care of, not for someone else, our neighbor, to take care of, but for you and I to look after, you and I personally to look after. And now within that, every one of us has potential. We've got potential to grow the areas that God has given us responsibility for. Every one of us has potential so my message today is I want to speak on how to live to your full potential. So everyone has potential, but what is, what is potential? Potential is a dormant excellence. How I many of you like that? A dormant excellence or ability that may or may not be developed. For example, someone might have the potential to be an outstanding athlete. How I many of you heard that? That person has the potential to be an Olympian or an outstanding athlete. Now, that doesn't mean that they will be. It means that they could be. Now, you and I 
have got dormant abilities and strengths, potential in our lives, that could be, that could make our lives into something amazing, something powerful. So potential is having possibility, capability, or power. It's possessing the capacity for growth or development. I like that. Possessing the capacity for growth or development. Your life, your life has potential. The question is, will you live to that full potential or not? Now, I brought a prop along here today, and it's a jug, a measuring jug. Now, that jug has the potential to be filled to two liters. That is the, the potential that it has. It's actually where I make my porridge in the morning. Yeah, that's my porridge bowl. Yeah. <laughs> but it has the potential to be filled to two liters. Now, I want you to imagine that your life is like that. So what does it take for you to live to the full measure of the potential that God has given you in your life? What does it take? Now, the Bible records the accounts of lives of men and women all through the Scripture, some of whom lived to their full potential and fulfilled all that God had given them to an outstanding and amazing way. And then there are others who fell so far short, it's a tragedy. And you can look at the lives and see what could have been. And you think, oh my word, they missed out. Now, I don't want to get to the end of my life and think, oh my God, I've missed out. I so fell short of the potential that God gave me. I don't want to be like that. I want to get to the end of my life and say, God, I gave it my best shot. I lived to everything that I had, everything that you gave me. How many of you are like that? All right. Well, thank God the Bible gives us some examples that we can learn from. Because how many of you know it's good to learn from your own mistakes? Eh? It's a bad thing not to learn from your mistakes. But it's a good thing to learn from your mistakes. But it's an even better thing to learn from someone else's. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot less pain involved. So let's go for the painless version and let's learn from what the scripture teaches us of people living to their full potential. Now you see in the book of Numbers, chapter 13 and 14, there's a striking account there of people, two groups of people. In fact, there was a very small group, two in fact, who lived to their full potential and a whole group of people who fell tragically and dramatically short of what God intended for their lives. The story is the, the account of the spies, the 12 spies being sent into the promised land. Now the background is the nation of Israel, they had been living as slaves in Egypt. 400 years of slavery, generation after generation of slavery. They were under the control of slave drivers. Then through, they had no power over their life, they were weak, powerless, no say in their lives. And then through an outstanding, Outstanding series of miracles, absolutely outstanding series of spectacular signs and wonders. God completely destroys and wipes Egypt out. He leads the nation of Israel out through the Red Sea. He parts the Red Sea and he leads the nation of Israel out through it. And then, for good measure, he drowns the Egyptian army. How many of you know that's, a, that's a good, that's a point of victory, eh? Oh, that's good. Now, do you think your life would be changed with an encounter with God like that? It would forever change you. It would make a difference in your life, you would hope. 
but not necessarily. Because one year after all these incredible things that happened, Israel, who spends that entire year whining, grizzling, and complaining, now they stand on the edge of the promised land. And if you can imagine, it's like how many of you have taken a long road trip, maybe five hours up to Auckland or something like that, and you've got three small kids in the back seat, yeah, okay, poking at each other, complaining, beating on each other. Yeah, you know, you know what? Who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay. Uh, and as a parent, you know that's frustrating, eh? And uh, so if you can imagine, God's in the driver's seat, except instead of three children in the back seat, he's got three million. And they're just whining and complaining and beating on each other and finding fault with everything. Okay, so that's what it's like. So one year later, they get to the edge of the promised land and they send in 12 spies to check out the land. Ten of them come back. They All 12 come back, but 10 of them say, yep, the land is good. It's a good land, but there's, there's giants in the land. The cities are big and they're fortified. And did we tell you about the giants? It's a place that consumes the inhabitants and we're not able to do it. And Joshua and Caleb they come back and say, I don't know what you guys are talking about, but we can do it. We can do it. God is with us. Let us go up at once and do it. But the 10 spies, with their negative report, turned the whole nation of Israel backwards, and turned against God, turned against Joshua and Caleb, turned against Moses and Aaron, and then said, let's go back to Egypt. We want to go back to Egypt. And while we're at it, just before we do, we're going to stone Joshua and Caleb. And then God steps in. What do you think God's got to say? In this situation, God lets them have it. He says, right, I am totally over you guys. I I have had enough. I'm over it. Okay? This is the end. The only ones who will enter the promised land will be Joshua and Caleb. The rest of you, you're going to be toast. You're dying in the wilderness, okay? Your children will go into the promised land, but you won't. Now, that entire generation had the potential to move into the promised land. They had the capacity to do it, but they didn't do it. They didn't meet or live to the full measure of potential. They didn't walk into what God had for them. But Joshua and Caleb did. Joshua and Caleb lived to their full potential. Years later, 40 years later, they led the next generation into that promised land. Isn't that good, eh? So what can we learn? If you want to live your life to the full measure of your potential. What can we learn from that? And I can pick out four, four points, four principles that we can pick out from that story to say, this is what we need to do. If we want to live to the full potential of what God has called us to, what he has put within us, what do we need to do? So the first thing you need to know, first thing we need to know, is that if we are to live to our full potential, we need to know that God is a good God. God is good. Now, there's a danger in that statement because I know as soon as I say that, that is such a cliche amongst Christians. And I know that as soon as I say that, 
there's a bunch of people that mentally clock out and put a tick there and say, yep, I know that God is good. I know that God is good and uh, got that. So pastor, tell me something that I don't know. All right, you know what I'm talking about? We say we mentally give ourselves a tick on that and say, that's all right, I've got that one nailed. Okay, but that's not what I'm saying here this morning. You know, you can teach a parrot to say, God is good. You can teach a parrot to say, God is good. But that parrot doesn't have any heart revelation of the goodness of God. And many Christians, they will spout out to you, God is good. Good all the time, God is good. They'll spout that out with no heart revelation, not even any mental assent to it. There's no heart revelation of it. So how do you know What's in your heart? Because if we did a survey here today, I know that we'd get pretty much 100% that God is good. We'd get pretty much 100% agreement with the fact that the God that we serve, the Christian God, is a good God. Now, how is it that we can get agreement to that, but people live way differently? Because when pressure comes on, they behave in a radically different way. When pressure comes on, What's the response that people have? Do they complain and whine? And say, God, God, why have you done this to me? God, do you want to kill me? God, don't you know that I can't do this? Does that sound like anyone you know? Yeah, nudge the person next to you and say, I think he's talking to you. <laughs> that's when pressure comes on, that's when we know what's the true revelation in our heart, whether we really know it that God is good or whether we just think that that's a great thing to say, all right? Because when the pressure comes on, people often complain, blame God, or it gets even to a, a greater extreme, they get angry with God. They get, there's a, a Maori word, and they say, uh, hoha, is that right? Yeah, hoha. They, they, they get hoha with God. Okay, I love that term because it means you get an attitude with God, and it's like, <coughs> I've had enough. I'm over you, God. That's what people get. If, God, if that's what God's like, I don't want anything of them. They give up on worshiping God, give up on reading their Bible, give up on giving, give up on going to church, and eventually they become bitter towards God. Now, if anyone's been in church for long enough, they would have seen that happen to enough people to know, oh my word, don't let that ever happen to me. So if you don't ever want that to happen to you you need to know what's in your heart not necessarily what you can write on a piece of paper and tick off but what's in your heart really because you need to know what's there so that you can train your heart into the truth of God you see the the Israelites the the spies when they came back in Numbers 14 chapter 3 they said why why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword why our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Come on. What's the problem? You see, their problem, their resistance, and they start to blame God, and worse, they start to accuse God of wanting to hurt them. Now, think about it. Why would God bring them all the way up there to kill them? A whole lot easier leaving them in Egypt and letting the Egyptians deal with them. But when the pressure came on, they didn't believe in the goodness of God. Now, we can look at that and say, crazy stuff. What were they thinking? How stupid can these guys be and still breathe? Okay? 
You know, it's easy to see that in someone else's life, but what about our own life? When pressure comes on, what's your response? How about you? When you face a difficulty, do you develop an attitude with God? Do you have a genuine knowing that God is good? When there's a delay in the answer to your prayer, do you stop praying? Maybe you stopped praying a long time ago. When the finances are tight, do you stop giving? What's your response when you come up to some resistance? You see, now if you answer that honestly and you say, well, there's some stuff that I need to deal with. You say, okay, now train your heart to know that God is good. Don't just let it rest in your head, but let it drop into your spirit. Let it drop into your spirit and let you just declare, God is never mean to me. Some people have a sneaking suspicion that God is mean and vindictive and actually wants to deal to them. Okay, If they're honest, they would say that. But we need to train our heart that that is not the God we serve at all. That's not the God we serve. So learn to meditate on the truth of who God is. So if you want to live to the full measure of your potential, if you want to fill up your life to the potential that God gives you, you need to know in your heart that God really is good. Tell the person next to you, you need to know that God is good. All right. Now the next thing, what else can we pick up from this, from this passage? or these scriptures in Numbers 13 and 14. We need to understand who we really are. In Numbers chapter 13 and verse 33, I, I, this is so tragic and dismal. Okay, this is sad. Numbers 13 and verse 33, these are the spies. And they say, we saw the giants in the land. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. You know, the Israelites, they had been slaves for generations, but now they're free. But they still think of themselves as slaves. They still think of themselves as people who are weak and powerless. You see, when God delivered them out of Egypt, He gave them a whole new identity. And if you were here and listened to, uh, to Shane Willard over the last, couple of we uh, last week, he talked a lot about this, how God gave the people of Israel, a whole new identity. He called them his own special treasure. His people, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, chosen. This was the identity that God gave them. Yet when there was a problem, they identified themselves as slaves, as weak, as powerless, as insignificant grasshoppers. Now, there's a parallel here to our own lives. When we become Christians, God gives us a whole new identity. Once we were slaves to sin, now we have victory over sin. Once we were weak and defeated, now we reign and rule as kings in this life. Do you know that? That God calls you a king in this life, called to rule and reign. He says that once... You are a child of the devil, okay? Who wants to be a child of the devil? Not me, all right? Now you are a child of God. When you become a Christian, he declares you to be a child of God. He says that you are a saint. The person next to you, if they believe in Jesus Christ, they are a saint. So right here, we have Saint Anna on the front row. Saint Mel, Saint Rodney, Saint Dave. 
Hey, and there's St. Peter on the front row here. <laughs> That's very good. You thought St. Peter was guarding the pearly gates, but he's sitting at the front row of our church. We have St. Peter in the church, and that's the good news. All right, so the person next to you, they're a saint if they believe in Jesus Christ. So that's good. That's the truth of you as a believer in Jesus Christ. Yet the sad thing is, is that many Christians still live like they're slaves to sin, like they're weak, like they're powerless, like they're insignificant, bound up with sin habits from the past, fear and destructive ways of thinking. Yeah? They're settling for existence and survival. Why is that? Because they never embraced the truth of what God says about them. You see, God's intention for us is to live as his children, free from the past, free from sin, free from destructive thinking, free from fear and shame and insecurity, free to live the way he intended. How many of you know that that's good news? That's good news. So how do you know if you have that kind of thinking and you don't really know who you are? You don't really know who God's made you to be. Well, you would know that because there's an inner voice that says to you, ah, I couldn't ever do that. Or you, you won't ever get over that failure. How could you ever possibly get over that failure? Or who do you think you are? Oh, you don't deserve that. You don't deserve that promotion. You don't deserve to be blessed. Don't even, don't even pray for that because you don't deserve it. Or God can't possibly forgive you for that. All these inner voices that say, that rise up against the truth of what God says about you and tries to put you down. Okay, now if those sorts of inner voices are going on in your life, and I know they go on in everyone's life, that's the truth of it. So will you put those into their place and live as God made you to be? Or will you live under that thing that would seek to keep you down and hold you down in, in an old identity? So how do you deal with those inner voices? You need to retrain your heart. Learn what God really says about you. Some people have never even looked into the scripture to say, Wow, God says that about me. He calls me a saint. God says that about me, that I am a child of God. Learn what God's got to say about you. And again, let that revelation move from your head into your heart. Meditate upon it. Let it sink into your spirit until it becomes a spiritual and, and uh, physical material reality for you. So if you want to live to the full measure of your potential, you've got to know who you are. Tell the person next to you, you've got to know who you are. All right. So if we want to live to the full measure of our potential, what's something else that we can take away from this account in Numbers chapter 13 and, and uh, chapter 14? It's a great story, well worth a read, eh? Okay, now look at it. If you want to live to your full potential, you've got to determine to be ruthless. Everyone say ruthless. What do you got to be ruthless with? You've got to be ruthless with negativity. Ruthless with negativity. And focus, everyone say focus. Focus on the faithfulness of God. You see, there is a principle in life that whatever we focus on, we become 
like. And that works in both the positive and it works in the negative. Whatever you set your mind on, whatever you set your thoughts and imaginations on will grow in authority and power in your life. It works in the positive that as we look at the faithfulness of God, as we look at how awesome He is, as we look at His great power, then we become changed and become like Him. That's the truth of the Word of God in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. It says, We all with an unveiled face, looking upon the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, the same image, from one degree of glory to another. Isn't that fantastic? That as we look at God and focus on Him, He changes us to become like Him. Now, on the other side is, if you focus on the problems, if you focus on difficulties, they will grow and grow and grow until they become insurmountable mountains in your life. Now, I don't want that for my life. So I'm going to determine to be ruthless with negativity. I've got low tolerance for negativity. A low tolerance. All right. <laughs> so anyway, I'll move on from that. But uh, I'll get, again, get myself into trouble. But if you look at... If you, <laughs> Dish out slappings. Yeah. <laughs> so now I'll be the pastor today. All right. So as you read the account of the spies in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, you can see their focus is consumed by difficulties. The people are strong. The cities are fortified. The people are too big. The giants, the Jebusites, the Canaanites. The Amorites, the Vegemites, and the Marmites, they're all there and they're going to kill us. They're focused on the problems. What about your life? They were so focused about the problems and difficulties, they completely lost sight of God. What about you? Where is the focus of your life right now? Is it on the problems and difficulties? Or is it on the faithfulness of God? Now, we can read this, read this story and say, guys, what's with you? Have you forgotten that just over a year ago, God laid waste to the most powerful nation on earth? And here you are thinking that he's not going to break through for you here. See, that's the problem with negativity, is that when you focus on problems, they grow and they will consume your life. And you lose sight of the bigness of God. Negativity is a lot like going to a fast food outlet. If you go to McDonald's or, or uh, Burger King, they'll say, you put your order in, they'll say, Sir, would you like to upsize that meal? Would you like to upsize that to a, uh, to a large size Coke and, uh, and large fries? Yeah, so with negativity, the devil wants to upsize your order of negativity. He says, Sir, let me take that concern of yours, and for no extra charge, I'll upsize that concern to a much larger fear, or even a full-blown phobia and paranoia. <laughs> it says, negativity will take your worry and say, Sir, let me supersize that order with a medium-sized anxiety and a large-sized panic attack. <laughs> no extra charge. Negativity will take your winter blues and say, Sir, let me 
upsize that with a medium-sized general hopelessness and a large-sized depression. Yeah. Maybe you know someone like that who's consumed by the problems in their world and they've got a supersize order. Now, if you don't want the devil to supersize your order of negativity, don't hang out in the fast food restaurant of negativity. Best that you deal with it when it's little and you walk straight out of that place and you turn your focus to the goodness and faithfulness of God. How many of you know that's a good choice to make? See, whatever you focus on grows in authority and influence in your life. Best we focus on the goodness of God. Now, how many of you have overcome something incredible in your life? You've overcome some overwhelming situation in your life, and you're here today. How many of you have over, overcome some, something overwhelming? Now, I think the fact that you're here and you're breathing, if you're breathing, how many of you are breathing this morning? Okay, the fact that you're breathing this morning means that you have overcome some overwhelming odd in your life already. So that means that God is not finished with you. God has got a purpose for you. God has got a plan for your life. God wants to do something good for you. And if he's preserved your life so far, he will preserve it to the very end until you have fulfilled your potential unless you give up. But we're not like that, are we? We're not like that. We're not quitters. We don't give up. So if you want, and if I want, to live to the full measure of my potential, I've got to determine to be ruthless with negativity and focus on the faithfulness of God. So tell the person next to you, focus on the faithfulness of God. All right. <laughs> Come on, with a bit more enthusiasm, Tell the person next to you, focus on the faithfulness of God. So how many of you know this is good news this morning? All right, so tell your face. <laughs> smile at the person next to you and tell them, this is good news, so you need to smile about this. <laughs> Last point this morning. If you want to live to the full measure of your faith, of your potential, you want to live to the full measure of your potential, you need to adopt an attitude of faith. Adopt an attitude of faith. One of my all-time favorite characters in the Bible is Caleb. Now, Caleb is an incredible man. He's got it sussed that God is good. He's got that figured out. He's got it figured out that he's no longer a slave. He's got it figured out that if he keeps his eyes on the faithfulness of God, there isn't anything that can stop him. But what I love about Caleb is his amazing attitude of faith. You listen to Caleb in Numbers chapter 13 and verse 30. This is after all the spies have grizzled and wound up all the other people. Caleb goes before Moses and he says, Let's go up at once and occupy the land, for we are well able to overcome it. That's the attitude of faith that says, let's just get up and do it. Let's do it now. Let's occupy it. Let's take it over. We are well able to overcome. Someone shout amen and say hallelujah. Someone give the Lord a clap this morning. 
See, this is the attitude of faith. If you read further in Numbers 49, this is Caleb again. He says, don't rebel against the Lord. Don't fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. That's the attitude of faith. Don't be scared. Problems, giants, they are bread for us. Every problem that you face in life, every problem is not to destroy you, but to build your faith and your strength so that in victory you will be stronger and more powerful and more understanding of the goodness of God. Scripture says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. See, faith speaks and acts. It says things like, I can do it. Tell the person next to you, you can do it. It says, let's do it now. Let's do it now. It says, I've got what it takes. I've got what it takes. It says things like, I'm more than able to handle this. Can I have the band, please? It says that God is for me, and he will help me. It says things like, problems and difficulties, they just make me stronger. They make me stronger. If you want to live to the full measure of your potential, you need to adopt an attitude of faith. Now, how many of you want to live to the full measure of your potential? You see, you don't really know what's in your heart until you face a difficulty, until you face an area of resistance. Now, let me put some flesh on this for you. That, uh, when Kalinda and I got married, Kalinda had a really bad eczema, bad eczema. And we stood in faith and we prayed. We fasted. We prayed and we believed God that he would heal her. Now, over a series of, of years, actually, I can't remember how many years. I just remember the victory now. But over a series of years, God broke through in Kalinda's life and completely healed her of eczema. That's good. I tell you, that's, that's awesome. Let me tell you right now, one of my girls has eczema. Now, it's one thing to deal with it in an adult. But when you see a little one, that skin is in a mess. And you know that God can heal her and will heal her in an instant. But you pray and you believe and you fast. I tell you, and still the breakthrough is yet to come. Do you believe that there's an opportunity to get an attitude with God? I've got to tell you, that's for real. Do you believe that it would be easy enough to draw back and just settle for, well, that's our existence? But I tell you, I am giving up. I am not giving up. I am not giving up. Because God is true and the devil is a liar. And my wife and I have chosen to adopt the attitude of Caleb that says, give me that mountain with its giants. Give me that mountain because we know 
that the reality and truth of God's Word is that healing belongs to His children. So we stand in faith in that. This morning, how many of you know that there's some areas in your life that God's been speaking to you on where you've drawn back and we say, God, I need to deal with those things in my life. I need to know who you are. I need to know who I am. I need to sort out some negativity in my life, God. If that's you this morning, I want you to lift your hand. Just acknowledge that before the Lord. All right. That affects many of us. Many, many, many of us, ones who are honest. Actually, the reality is, I bet it affects all of us. This morning, I want to encourage you. Take on the attitude of Joshua and Caleb and determine to live a life of strong faith. Let's pray this morning, people, every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, we thank you that you're here with us this morning, that you're a good God, And we declare that, Lord God, from the depths of our spirit as a reality. We declare, Lord God, that you have made us to be your children. We declare, Lord God, that we will keep our eyes and our focus on you. And today, Lord God, we make a choice to live with a strong attitude of faith. 